Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Money and Me, the property edition on Money FM 89.3, brought to you by Simlian Group, creating space, creating homes. Hey, good morning and welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Today, maybe you're interested in being a homeowner investing in property and you're looking at the mega projects out there and the smaller developments and wondering what are the pros and cons of either how should you make your mind up between a larger development and a smaller development. To help us think our way through those choices, Mohammed Ismail Gafour, he's chairman and CEO of Propnex Limited. Good morning, Ismail. Hi, morning. Morning to everyone. Yes. Great. Great to have you with us. So here we are looking at the mega development. What are the key differences as you see it? Mega projects, smaller developments. I think to start with, there isn't a very clear definition how do we call one as mega and what is small. Mm. I mean, if I very broadly, at least for today's discussion purposes, even if any listeners want to clarify a certain point, we put that in context. I would say boutique developments are those that are less than 50. They're very small. Yep. Then the smaller ones are less than 150 units and there are many condos that are less than 150 units. Mid-size, anything between 150 to 400 and the large one being 400 to 1,000 units. And mega, I would like to define as one that is above 1,000 mm. and these days it is not uncommon to see 1,000 to 1,000 for 1,008 or for that matter, the largest in Singapore will be 2,200 over units. Never ever had happened in Singapore. So that's why I'm trying to say mega projects do enjoy some benefits in terms of economies of scale. But at the same time, there are people who like a lot more privacy and quietness that some people do favour smaller developments. There's no right or wrong to start with. But if we talk about mega projects, there are few. And most of it have already been launched numbers that I'm talking about, more than 1,000 units. And some of these land parcels were the former on block of HUDC sites. And, you know, the HUDCs were so huge. And that's why the developer who purchased these land sites benefited from such humongous space. And they're able to deliver units that are of many various sizes and as well as come with huge number of facilities. If I mention a couple of Mm. the mega sites that is newly launched this year will be like Florence at Haogang, Coven area, about 1,400 over units. And we have got Park Clementis just launched two months back at Clementi itself. It's 1,468 units. Avenue South Residence at Silat Road is 1,074 units. Normanton Park not launched yet, expected to be about 1,008. But of all the mega projects, the mega of the mega will be treasure at Tampanese, which is 2,200 units. Also built on the former Tampanese HUDC estate. Yes, correct. But when we said about this mega project, this is not new. We have had mega projects even in the past. We look at the Leiden, the Leiden Heights. It's 1,700 and some of the other development as way back as 1982. Mandarin Gardens was developed at the eastern part of Singapore with 1,006 units. 
Yes, yes. So not new on the landscape, but, you know, just mentioning some of those names, there seemed to be an increasing movement towards these mega developments. And as you see it, what are the pros and the cons? And if we start with (coughs) investing, because we know there's a difference between buying to live in because you like the resort and you like the facility feel and buying to invest. So what are the pros and cons of investing in a mega project over a thousand units? I think one of the key things... We all know that for all condominiums, there's such a thing known as maintenance fee. Despite whether it is a smaller development or larger or mega, one will have to keep upkeep the common areas, facilities, and as well as in terms of all other things that comes with it. Mm-hmm. But put it this way, regardless of how big a project, you still need one gut house at an entry point. And you will have, depending on a couple of swimming pool, if it is really huge ones, one of the key things that I'm trying to say is economies of scale. Mm. Generally, one would expect the monthly maintenance fee to be in the range of anything between $250 to $300 for most mid-size or development that are 300 to 500 units to 600 units monthly. But on the other hand, what we have realized here is this. These days, the big mega projects, like for example, Treasure at Tampines, the monthly estimated fee for a even a three-bedroom is less than $200. I mean, it started $180. And for the one-bedroom, it is only about $150 to $165 at the range. So we are talking about huge savings. Put it this way. When one even stay in a HDB, a sheltered car park costs $120. And if anyone who wants to join a 24-hour gym will cost a monthly $100, which is $220. And these mega developments come with 100 over facilities. And you just look at it from the way that one would be able to have a huge amount of savings and lifestyle is tremendous. Mm. Well, assuming they got the, the I have to play devil's advocate, they got the numbers and the ratios right as well because there's a lot more demand for these facilities as well. So you may not get those tennis courts when you need it, right? And you may not get the access to, I don't know, the badminton courts when you need it. But by and large, overall, because undoubtedly there are economies of scales, you're going to be paying less than, say, you would be if you were in a smaller development. To an extent, yes, it's true. If you talk about a specific facility like a uh, tennis court, unless they are got more than one, then the chances of you getting it higher as compared to on a smaller development. But most of the mega developments, even when we talk about pools, mm. like in the case of Treasure Tempanis, they have got three different 50-meter pool. One is a proper Olympic size, while the other two, fun pool, yet stretches to 50 meters. So, I don't think one will be out of not having enough facilities, mm. but for when specific activity, maybe yes. If you talk about a tennis court, I suppose even in a smaller development, one will face. What is the interesting thing about mega development here is this the ability to create a resort kind of living. Mm. And as I said, this was not uncommon when we looked at Mandarin Gardens, for example. Mandarin Garden at the eastern side was developed in 1982 and completed in 1986. And those days, because I remembered living there because I owned one long time ago and I I have sold that place. But every time when I go there, it is 
truly like a resort feeling in terms of the pace that you get and in terms of the lifestyle and so on. And interestingly, Mandarin Garden, despite being 37 years today, mm. it is still holding its price relatively well. Let me give an example. 2014, five years ago, a 1,700 square foot unit was sold at 1.52 million. And per square foot was about $800. Okay. And as recent as this year, a similar size house, 1,700, and a lower floor transacted at $1.88 million, which is more than $1,000 per square foot. In just the last five years, despite being 37 years old, the property fetched $360,000 more than five years ago. And one, if someone who wants to know, Mandarin Garden, 25 years ago, when I bought it, it was less than $600 per square foot. So, despite being a leasehold and yet the lease dropping, mm. because of such estates that provide positive lifestyle, there is a good tenant mix and is still strongly demanded in terms of rental. Because a tenant who pays the same amount of money compared to a smaller development and a bigger development, he likes to enjoy as many facilities as possible. And that's why such property do hold its prices. Interesting. So if you're an investor and you're looking at you know the rental yield, then these are the upsides of the mega project. What are the pros and cons of investing in smaller developments, Ismail, as you see it? I think one of the key things about smaller development here is this. There are many people who will keep the option open. One of the things here is this privacy. And really, if you look at smaller development, the tendency of people knowing your neighbours uh, very much there. I'm put it this way. If you, if you buy a development that is less than 50 units, literally probably you will know all your neighbours or most of your neighbours. And you know, for every condominium, whether it is 30 units or 300 units or 2,000 units, you still need to set up a management committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this management committee, which are literally all selected residents who form this committee have to run the estate. And when you talk about a small estate of, of, let's say, less than 100 units, the management committee could be 10 members and which is almost the 10% of the entire people who are staying there are making decisions. And therefore, it is something that I would say people like living in smaller, very much more private. The other aspect here is this, cost. First mm-hmm. thing, they talk about cost of management fee or maintenance fee. And you know, whether it is small estate or big estate, you need a sinking fund every five years to do in a complete uplift to the estate. And that is not talk about normal routine monthly maintenance. We are talking about a paintwork for the entire estate or to change the pump at the swimming pool or the lift after a couple of years when it has already been not functioning well. And these are huge costs. And who will have to bear the cost? So the owners, the residents of the estate. So the smaller development will have to fork out once in a while a little bit more extra to make sure the estate is livable and so will be the bigger estate but in terms of economies of scale they will tend to enjoy a bit more.
That's the way I look at it. Mm. The difference between the smaller and the bigger estates. And you should like your neighbours a lot if you're living in a small estate. Yes, because you can't <laughs> run away from them. Because likely, if you can you imagine if you buy a small tower block uh, and there's only one lobby and the lift. And if you... you you better be someone who's uh, very happy living with all your neighbours. Good point, good point there. Mohammed Ismail is CEO and Chairman of Propnext Limited. This is Money and Me, the Property Edition. And today we're discussing investing and living in mega projects versus the smaller project. We'll take your questions as well at 97178893. Help us understand the share values the way they're allocated in a mega project versus smaller developments is mild. I think I just want to explain. I think interestingly, people want to know how is this uh, monthly fees, maintenance fee, are being determined. So basically, the developer will have to apply to commissioner of buildings. In short, they call it a COB, commissioner of buildings. Yeah. And the guideline here is this developments that are less than 50 meters square, which is about 550 square foot in terms of the house size. A share value of five is being allotted. And for every 50 meters square added, that means 50 to 100, it goes to 6, 101 to 157, and 151 to 208. I mean, just spread one share is added to every additional 50 meters square. And once this is being approved, what happened here is this. The developer understanding the overall maintenance expected for this particular estate mm -hmm. will determine, for example, like in the case of treasure at Tampanese, because it is in a huge development, the share value come to per share about 30 to $33. Okay. Therefore, that's why a smaller unit, the, sh the monthly maintenance fee is only expected to be $150 to $165. As the share value goes up, because if one is owning a bigger unit, then he will have to pay maybe $33 of eight times the share value. Then it goes to $200. And how this maintenance fee is being increased over time as inflation goes up and if let's say the current management committee find it it is not viable to maintain then they go to an AGM and says we would like to propose to increase per share value by five dollars so as to make sure we can keep pace with the cost of maintaining the estate and once it is approved then if one share is increased by $5. If someone had five shares, the monthly it will increase by $25. This is the way it operates. It's in a very fair system mm. and that's how people will be obligated to fulfill the payments. Ismail, here's a question for you. And by the way, listeners, keep them coming through 9717-8893. We know that when it comes to the price of your apartment when you sell, scarcity is important. So, you know, whether it's a unique unit, uh, one of its kind, or one of a generic number of units. They all look the same way. So the question is, if I have a unit in a large development and it generally looks in terms of configuration like every other unit in the block, and there are many of these, Ismail, do you think that my unit is less likely to be valuable over time because I'm just one of a million? I don't see it at that way. I think one of the most important things here is how is the development taken care over time by the residents. It does matter. And if I give it an example, again, in the part, in the eastern region of Singapore, Coco Palms is a development that was launched in 2014 with 944 units. 
and Inflora was also completed in 2017 but launched in 2013 one year earlier with 396 units and when we look at it some of the recent resale prices that took place last month coco palms with 944 units launched median price $1020 but last month sold at 1000 317 which is close to 30% more than the launch price then on the other hand in flora launch at 949 did went up but by less than 10% yeah so what am i trying to say it doesn't disadvantage a mm. bigger development either it is recently launched or even older like in the case of mandarin garden because what is most important is people do value the facilities and lifestyle mm. so there's still a strong group of people who don't mind paying even though they don't see it one in a million but they feel that one of the privilege to enjoy the facilities it's my your view on whether there is you know the singapore dream is that they buy into a condo and it goes on block do you think buying into larger developments mean there's a higher possibility of on block because there's all that space actually it works two ways it's, it's quite an, a tricky thing A large development, yes, generally favoured, but too large a development in a not so good market may not be easy to go on block. And we have come across some of these experiences whereby huge development that goes into quantum of one over billion dollars, and when the market is positive, yes. big consortium and developers coming together are daring enough to bid for such land but when the market is experiencing some kind of a lack of demand or cooling measures and so on mm. and that's why in recent times what we have witnessed here is this, some of the humongous size on block were not successful Mm. and that's why they will have to wait for the next up cycle so that's one disadvantage i can see that of a completely huge development but that does not mean they will not be successful they will have to time it right such that in a good time they are going to benefit hugely but if not they will have to wait out when market is not so right from an on block perspective smaller development have an advantage because there are many developers are prepared to look at it and take that risk because it is to an extent quite biteable in terms of of commitment and to dispose the properties over time. Okay, Isma, what are some examples of the prime large and small projects we should look out for for the rest of 2019, maybe even a year ahead if you can peer into that crystal ball of yours. When I look at the mega projects that we talked about which are almost all have been launched only one exception which is Normanton Park the former Normanton Park when, when will that be launched most likely will be next year okay. waiting for control of housing to clear some of their requirements mm. and as for the rest of the mega projects as i said things that have done really well and i must say almost all the mega projects that were launched last year and this year all have done exceptionally well For example, last year there was three Riverfront already sold well above seventy percent. Jetscape and Park Estar, Park Estar is at the Yunos Jetscape at Simming, and all have done very well. And these are all one thousand four hundred, one thousand two, and one thousand three hundred and ninety nine units. Mm. This year, Florence have done very well. 
Treasure have also equally done very well. And as the very recent, just two months ago, was Park Lamentis and Avenue South Residence. And both did exceptionally well at the launch weekend. Therefore, somehow I look at it, Mega Projects is getting its attractions and attentions of most buyers. And I think the trend will be Mega Projects will continue to do well. One of the projects to really look out for will be Sengkang Grand. It may not be a mega project, but it is one of the first mixed development that is likely to be launched. Maybe next week or when time permits, we will talk a little bit more about mixed developments. Okay, that sounds good. Do you have some tips for buyers? You know, because when people think mega development, they think there's so many hands that have to come together to make this happen. Mm. So there's uh, engineers and the designers and the contractors and the subcontractors. And people might worry about the reliability of uh, the many entities involved. Here in the Singapore context, do you think a buyer can conduct due diligence for risk analysis given the number of hands involved in a mega development? I think as far as Singapore is concerned, we are really, really fortunate because a lot of process policies and rules are in place. And uh, despite whether it is small development or big development, as I said, there is project account for the monies to be placed in stake before the developer can use it for any purposes and guidelines are there. And I think what one should look at here is this more of the reputation of the developer. And for mega projects, we are talking about huge amount. We are talking about billions of dollars from the land cost and the construction cost. And in today's norm, and when we look at many of these developers, uh, be it UOL or be it Oxley or Capital Land or CDL or even Singhai and many of these developers, including Oxley, they have done huge number of mega projects and many of these people are main board listed companies and they follow the rules and the guidelines strictly simply because they do not want to lose the license and neither do they want to lose the goodwill of the consumers. They are not here for a day or for the year, but they're here in the long haul to make a brand sustainable. So like a value investor would look at the reputation of the developers that you're looking to buy into. Finally, Ismail, we started the show. We've been trailing all morning saying that you're going to share some three tips that you have learned when it comes to investing in property. Interesting. <laughs> yes. I think one of the most important thing here is this. People tend to postpone the idea of investing and wanting to save enough first. I think that is not a right thing to do. That much we could save because every time we save $500 to $1,000 to a couple of thousand dollars and we want to save enough to invest our dream home, sometimes the dream never comes true. My suggestion here is this. Go ahead and invest within your means. Does not matter even if it is a small unit. But by investing in a small unit, we are keeping pace with inflation. So buy within your means Keep pace with the inflation and slowly upgrade and buy your dream home, be it a castle that you want to buy. So that's the first thing, is not having to wait and save enough. Buy as long as you can afford, as soon as possible, but within your means. That's most important. Number two, here is this. Whatever you invest, have some little savings for rainy days. And I would just give an broad suggestion, a guideline will be if your monthly installment here is, for example, $3,000, at least you have a six months 
to a 12 months of this monthly installment as a safety net. For example, maybe you get retrenched and when you find another job, it can take you two months, three months, four months. One should not panic in this kind of situation. As long as you have this little bit of a safety net, I think you can ride through. And last thing here is this, when you buy a property, don't be too emotional. Don't look at maybe just the the designs or in terms of its renovations or fall in love instantly. Think through logically that the fact that this property is something that has got good upside. Think of the long term and always buy with a long term view. When I say long term view, he's buying a property with at least a good 10-year time horizon, not speculative, not going in hoping to hold for three years and make a quick bucks and come. And that may not be possible because market cycles, economy may not be to your advantage. My guest today in Money and Me, the Property Edition, Muhammad Ismail Gafora. Ismail, thank you so much. You'll be back next week with us. Really appreciate that, yes. Always a joy speaking with you. Next week, we're going to talk more about your questions when it comes to buying into properties. Stay with us here on Money FM 89.3. This segment is brought to you by Simlian Group. Creating space, creating homes. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.